This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Oh, hello and welcome to today's BT Techno podcast. My name is Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team, a team of experts available to answer any advice, technical queries you may have about strategies for your clients. Well, this week, the Financial Services Council, or the FSC, has released their white paper on financial advice, which is in effect a paper that raises a number of areas for recommended reform of the financial advice-related legislation and regulations to set financial advice up, I think, for the future and to help promote its value. Now, joining me this week to discuss the white paper is Blake Briggs, the Deputy CEO of the Financial Services Council. Blake, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be with you. All right, great. So let's get straight into it. So Blake, why has the FSC seen the need to prepare and release this white paper and why do it now? Well, the reality is the advice industry has been on one hell of a transformational journey over the last decade. Um, We're in a situation where there have been multiple waves of regulation um, and and most of that had the aim of uh, professionalising the industry but it certainly has taken a very heavy toll on the industry. I mean, we see that in terms of the number of advisors that have left the industry over the last couple of years, as well as the challenges that advisors face to make their businesses economically viable and generate a good return. Um, and, we, and we know from our experience with our members and the advisors that we talk to that um, most need to see hope or a light at the end of that tunnel, that the business environment for them will improve. So the FSC set about uh, about 18 months ago now, doing a big project of work in conjunction with advice associations and and direct consultation with third parties to build up that body of evidence to be able to say, the journey has worked, the advice industry is now a profession, it's not becoming a profession, it has reached that goal. And so what is the right regulatory environment for a profession? How do you treat advisors with respect? How do you respect their professional judgment? And what are the regulatory settings that uh, reflect that set of values? And then what we've come out with in the white paper is not just a regulatory framework that we think respects advisors' professional judgment, but also reduces the cost for advisors to um, produce advice for their clients and hence has that beneficial impact on the cost of advice. Okay, so in the white paper itself, the FSC has proposed a number of recommendations and I, there's probably a few of these I wouldn't mind talking to you about. So the first one is that the FSC has proposed removing the safe harbour steps under the best interest duty under corporations law. So why is this one of the recommendations and what valuable benefits do you see that this would actually deliver? So we, we see the safe harbour steps as one of the big drivers of cost and compliance in providing advice. Um, In some ways, it's become a ticker box exercise. You show you are compliant by having done these steps. But as I think a lot of people in the industry know, not all the steps are relevant for every client. And so we see the removal of the safe harbour steps as the dominant way of satisfying best interest duty as a really important way of, first of all, allowing advisors to use their professional judgment and expertise to show how they're acting in the best interest of clients. And secondly, reducing the cost of delivering that advice by not having to do a whole range of unnecessary steps and and keep a whole range of material on file um, to demonstrate compliance. Um, We asked KPMG to model a number of the different uh, recommendations in in, in our report 
Um, this was one of the big ones in terms of the impact on reducing the cost of advice. And their, their modelling show that you can get the cost of advice down by about 10% alone by reducing the regulatory burden that comes with this. Okay, so if we sort of, on this theme about the cost of, of advice and so on, uh, I guess a lot of the complexity, and I, I think we're all aware that you know, the statements of advice that we've seen prepared over a number of years um, have been quite long, and, and unfortunately, that's added a complexity to the process. Now, I note in the white paper that there's a proposal to effectively do away with a statement of advice um, and replace it with a different concept called a letter of advice. So I'm just wondering if you could talk to us about how is this going to make things different um, and how do we see that this will improve the advice process? Yeah, that's right. And um, this one is as much about making sure advice is allowed to become more consumer focused as it is cost. Um, without a doubt, statements of advice, as you say, are overwhelmingly long and complex documents. And they're as much compliance focused documents as they are consumer documents. Um, they're there in many ways to show that you've done all the necessary things to produce compliant advice. That's clearly not very useful for customers. In fact, by and large, um, the feedback we got was most clients to sit down with a lengthy statement of advice either don't read it or if they read it, they struggle, struggle to make sense of it. And so clearly the not having to produce a long document has cost savings and, and quite significant ones as the KPM model, KPMG modeling showed us. But probably more important, this recommendation is about allowing advisors to produce a short document with just the information the client needs to understand the advice and decide whether or not to take action based on the advice they've received. So it's much more orientated towards giving the consumers what they need rather than weighing them down with uh, complex material. Now, one part of this as well is also this question of what should they be called? Look, we've put forward this idea of a letter of advice as distinct from a statement, but um, at the end of the day, I think this is the sort of thing where if there are useful labels to use for the documents the industry produces. That's an area where the FSC is definitely happy to have a conversation with uh, advisors and government about um, if this law reform comes to fruition. Okay, now one of the other um, areas for recommendation is actually about the classification of clients as wholesale clients. Um, and in one of the, our webinars that we ran recently, we talked about the fact that currently there are four different tests. So you've got your accountant certificate test, you've got the value test, there's a professional investor test or there's a sophisticated investor test. Now, under the accountant certificate test, currently one of the options to satisfy is if the client has net assets um, of more than $2.5 million. And I note that in the white paper, the FSC has proposed lifting this to $5 million. Now, back in 2011, I think it was, Treasury undertook a consultation about the wholesale test and, and potential changes, but, but nothing eventuated out of that. So why, um, from an FSC perspective, are you looking to raise this issue now about potentially making a change, I think, to that asset value, lifting it to $5 million? Mm. Um, mm. And what sort of difference do we think that's going to make? Uh, well, the short answer is you're right. That threshold has been stuck at the same level for a very long time. Um, it's not indexed. Um, it was reviewed um, a decade ago, but the reality is it's actually been stuck at $2.5 since, I think, 1991. 
So we're going on 30 years at the same level and obviously household wealth has moved on considerably since that time. And, and the reality is a lot of households would be able to satisfy this threshold um, with the, the house price alone um, given recent strength. Um, our view is we, we ran a genuine consultation process after we released the green paper earlier this year and quite strong feedback that we received from consumer groups, academics and from some of the industry to be honest was that this threshold was important. Um, it was a way for a lot of consumers to um, not be given the consumer protection framework that perhaps they required and it was something that it was important the industry to take a proactive stance on to show that you know what not all consumers that have you know two and a half or three million dollars are necessarily sophisticated um, so therefore we we did agree and it got strong backing from the FSC's membership that the threshold should be lifted we thought five million was a good um, modernization of that level and that it should be linked to CPI going forward so that it doesn't become outdated over time again. But one really important point in our white paper is that we get that any particular threshold is actually a pretty crude instrument. You can have people who have had a large inheritance but are still fairly unsophisticated or shouldn't be treated as a wholesale investor. Whilst on the flip side, you can have people with more modest balances who say they're tertiary educated or, or, or understand financial markets who, despite their lower wealth, are actually quite sophisticated and may want to participate in, in more complex financial products. So we also support in the white paper progressing onto a system over the next five to ten years where advisors are allowed to use their professional judgment to determine whether or not someone is sophisticated based on their understanding of their clients. And, and provided they keep record and evidence to show why they've deemed a client should be in one category or the other, I, I think they should be allowed to use that judgment. Um, it, it's a good reflection of a profession. Yeah, look, I think it's you know, a couple of really important points there. It's obviously about still trying to make sure that we've got the right level um, of consumer mm. protection available where it's needed. And I think, you know, the point that you made there was, you know, when you look at two and a half million dollars worth of net assets these days, I mean, you know, potentially if, if you wanted to include the value of the family home and even the superannuation savings of individuals, it's it's getting a lot easier to get to that two and a half million dollar um, threshold. You, do, you, you get over that threshold very quickly, don't you? Yeah, and it's a um, And we've also... Is that appropriate? I think it's also about future-proofing. We'll be in a situation where there will be unprecedented intergenerational wealth transfer over the next one to two decades. Um, and if a, if a parent passes on a, an investment property or a home to the next generation in their will, then we'll have a generation of younger people who very quickly meet that threshold as well, but, but by no means are sophisticated or wholesale investors. So it's about future-proofing the system as well and protecting the reputation and the integrity of the advice industry prospectively. Yeah, well, on that point, um, I also note that in the, the white paper that there's the discussion about the, um, I guess, the classification um, of different types of advice. And we know that certainly that there has been confusion for, for quite some time um, about the distinction between personal advice and general advice. And I know the FSC is proposing some changes in this space. So can you outline for us mm. what they are and, and how you think this will actually aid the end consumer, the end client in, in understanding what it is that they're, they're getting? 
Yeah, no, and this is, I think is a very important one. Um, to be clear, we, we set out a timeline of um, how these reforms should be implemented and certainly to us the priority is the best interest, duty, safe harbour steps and the, the letter of advice. We think that's where you get the biggest bang for your buck and that should be done as a priority. This one around um, the different complex labels of advice is probably the next cab off the rank in, in sort of two to three years' time. Um, what sits behind this, there's a couple of motivating factors. The first and probably the most important one is that consumers really don't know the differences between different categories of advice. We in the industry, we talk about intrafund advice, specialised advice, simple, complex. There are lots of different labels there. Most aren't uh, legal terms. Most are either industry jargon or they're in regulatory guidance. Um, this doesn't help consumers at all. Um, it often complicates uh, the regulatory framework. And so where we would like to get to is a situation where you just have personal advice, which takes into account the personal circumstances of an individual consumer. And if it's not personal advice, it's just general information. Um, this is consistent with the, the recent High Court decision in relation to personal and general advice. That was a really important test case that showed um, if a party, such as a superannuation fund, knows a few things about that consumer or client, then the consumer is entitled to believe they're getting personal advice. And so the reality is a lot of things that we thought were in one camp are actually personal advice. So this kind of codifies that new world in the regulatory framework, but it also just goes about simplifying the way the whole industry talks about advice. If you are taking into account someone's personal circumstances, then you're in the personal advice world. Okay, so the other bit I think that this sort of raises is obviously if you're in the personal advice space, there's um, you know, a whole set of rules, regulations, the requirements to be licensed and so on um, to be able to provide that personal advice and, and all appropriate measures. But over recent times, I think we've probably seen the rise of the influencer. So somebody, you know, through social media or, or other mechanisms that's um, imparting information across to consumers which, again, could be confused in some situations as to what type of advice is it. So is this something that the FSC has thought about and looking to propose some measures to address? Yeah, absolutely. And this, you're right, this is a really new emerging sector in the industry, but it's taking on a lot of prominence quite quickly. Um, look, there are a lot of factors that drive, you know, the emergence of influence. influencers. I can't even pronounce the term properly, sorry. Um, but one of them surely is, the cost of actually getting um, licensed, credible advice from professional is so high, um, mostly driven by the regulatory framework, that people are looking to get information wherever they can and then act on that information they're getting. And clearly it's not licensed financial advice, it's not necessarily provided by a, a professional um, who is taking into account personal circumstances, but it doesn't stop individuals taking it into, into account in their decision making. Now, what we're saying is where someone is charging a fee or getting remuneration from the information they're putting out, then that should fall within the um, regulatory framework we're proposing. So it doesn't say you can't do this, you can't offer this as a sort of service to your, your customers and your clients, but it is saying if you're going to strain to that personal advice area, you need to be treated as if you're providing personal advice because it has the same consequences at the end of the day. And so what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, certain training requirements and education, just like a full financial advisor needs to have? It could do. So 
Um, we go into quite a lot of detail around the different levels of training, the different parts of the advice industry should be received. Uh, should receive. Um, one of the key points is if you're talking about a particular subject matter, then you should be um, have you know CDP points in that area to know what you're talking about and, and keep your skills up to date. So it does. It, it means a higher standard of education and um, and qualification for people providing that information. Okay, so thanks for that, Blake. I mean, there's a lot of things in the white paper, and I'm sure we could sit here for hours and, and, and talk about them. Um, but I guess the you know, important question, so what comes next? Now that the, the white paper has been released, what do you see as the next steps in the process? Uh, and so you're right, we're, we've scratched the surface here, and I've appreciated this chat, but there is a lot of information in there, and we do make a couple of dozen recommendations. So um, I do encourage the advice community to, to download a copy from the FSC website and read it for yourself. Um, we think this is a really important time for the advice debate. As I said at the start, we're at the end of a, a very long journey in professionalising the sector, and it's now is the time to be talking about what is the right regulatory framework for an industry that is, you know, respected and professionalised? Um, and this debate is going to be had next year. Um, the government's quality of advice review kicks off in early 2022. Uh, this white paper forms the backbone of the financial services advocacy in that space. Uh, we hope that the, the government and the Australian Law Reform Commission uh, look into this and, and uh, pick up some of our ideas and we're certainly working very closely with groups like the FPA and the AFA to um, try to get as many voices as possible on the same page and, and making a strong case for deregulation. We, we think the advice industry needs a light at the end of that tunnel and um, and I think if we're all pushing in the same direction, we'll probably get there. Well, thanks for that, Blake. I mean, there's a lot of really uh, great information that's contained in that report and I Again, I also recommend you know, to our listeners that if they're really interested to find out you know, what some of these proposed changes are and, and start thinking about you know, sort of impact that they can have in supporting these changes, I recommend you go to the FSC website at fsc.org.au and download a copy of the white paper uh, and have a read of that for yourself. So, Blake, thanks for joining us today and talking us through some of these major points. Thanks, Brian. Great to chat. Now remember, if you've got any technical advice strategy questions, you can access the expertise of the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or send the team an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. And you can also join us for a fortnightly BT Academy technical webinars when we discuss all things technical and the latest regulatory changes. Now, our next fortnightly webinar, episode 37, will take place at midday Australian Eastern Summer Time on Wednesday the 20th of October, when Michael Tran, one of our BT technical consultants, will present on the topic of hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. And it's about residential aged care means tests and case studies. And the session will focus on building your knowledge about the financial aspects of aged care. To register, simply head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy technical webinar series. And whilst you're there, you can also view any of our previous webinars and all sessions have been accredited for CPD purposes. That's all for this week. So until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.